Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Did you guys enjoy that one week of summer we had and now we're back to winter again? <laughs> I got so frustrated. I actually went out and got a couple batches of mushrooms these last couple weeks. Um, yes, I found, a, I found a sweet spot. I'm not telling anybody, not even Sean, who's been begging me. Um, but now it's cold again, so what am I going to do? Um, I want to welcome you guys to the Crossing Church. I, my name is Jake, and I work with the campus ministry here, but I'm excited that you guys are visiting with us. Um, if you guys would like to follow along today, there's some announcements, some flyers, and there's also uh, a piece of notes that you guys can uh, write in as well. Um, but there's some other things I want to pull your attention to before I jump in today. There's two little handouts that you guys have inside your bulletins, if you guys want to pull those out. Um, the first one is we have a barbecue bash in the park for our junior hires, 6th through 8th grade coming up uh, next weekend. So if you guys have junior high kids that you just want to get rid of for a little bit, um, if you guys want to drop them off, if you guys want to hang out with them, if they have friends, you junior high kids, if you guys have friends, invite your friends out to this. Um, that is next weekend. But also we have our men's retreat, okay? I don't know who made this graphic, but we support it, I guess, here at the crossings. Wes loves this graphic. I'm still... I'm still undecided yet, <laughs> but we, uh, we love our men at our church so much. Um, the men's retreat here at the Crossings Church is by far one of my favorite events that we do all year, um, and it's not just because we play basketball a lot while we're there, but we do that while we're there. But the men's retreat is so cool because it's an opportunity for our men to learn how to be men. For a lot of you guys, I know a lot of members in our church, and I know a lot of you guys are like me, I didn't grow up with a dad. My dad was not present in my life. There was a lot of things that I grew up with not knowing how to be a man. And it's so cool because this retreat really has shown me what men look like in the world versus what men look like in God's kingdom. And I started to realize that it didn't really matter if I grew up without a dad or not. Men who grew up with worldly dads still have no idea what it looks like to be a man of God. And so it doesn't really matter where your upbringing's at, but this men's retreat has always been a great experience for me because I get to be surrounded around men who are trying to be men of God in this world and look a lot different. And they come home and they change their marriages, they change their parenting, they change their friendships, and they blaze a trail for our churches. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that men are supposed to call, are called to step up and lead and, and blaze a trail and set the pace. Um, so if you're interested in coming to this men's retreat, uh, there's information on the back on how you can get registered for that. We have a great time there. We play, like I said, we, we, get the, we were actually going to the Ozarks this year, which is new for us, but they have this giant gymnasium that has multiple gyms for us to play sports in. There's, there's putt-putt outside. There's a swimming pool, I believe, that's going to be there. Um, but, you know, it's, what's the ages? It goes from junior high all the way up. I think we actually went a little younger this year. I don't know. Um, kids can come. Yeah, that's what I say. If, if, if the kids can behave, they can come. Yep. <laughs> Or a man there will put them in their place. <laughs> um, so if you're interested, uh, please register for this. You still have plenty of time to make that happen. Uh, but it's a great opportunity. And something that I always say when I'm up here, anytime we get handouts, my challenge to you is to take this information down and hand it off to somebody that could use it. So if you know another man in your life that could benefit from this retreat, put this information down and hand this off to them at work this week or at your schools this week. If you know a junior high kid, you junior high kids, or you parents, or whoever it is, hand this off to somebody that could use this. Now that you have it, take that information down and give it to somebody else and pass it forward. Um, and it's just going to be cool to see what's going to happen at those, those events coming up. Now, let's jump into what we're talking about today. So we have a church theme called To Be Continued, and that's our theme for the entire year. And for you guys that have been coming, uh, you members know what this means, but for you guys visiting and for you guys that maybe this is the first time you've seen this graphic, what we're going through here at the Crossings Church is we believe that in the book of Acts that there is a story that is meant to be continued in our lives today. That the, the, the disciples in the first century, they had blazed a trail, they had set a pace for the Christian faith, they had built these congregations, they had started to change the world because of what Jesus did on the cross, and sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, that's something that's old. We take it, we apply it, we utilize it, but it's something from back then. But what we realize now here at the Crossings Church is we believe that that story is meant to be a continuation today, that we are a continuation of the Bible. We don't just refer back to the Bible, but we are the Bible. 
And we are continuing to live in that same lifestyle that we continue to, to, to share that message, to spread that message, and that we should be seeing some awesome things happening in our lives and in our communities the same way that it happened in the book of Acts. So our goal and our dream and our desire is to continue that story. And if you're here at our church today, I want you to know that you are, in, you are being invited to be a part of that. You're, you're being invited to be a part of a story in the Bible to continue it in your own life, but also in this community and in our congregation. And so today what we're going to be talking about is we've been kind of pick, picking apart different things in the book of Acts. And today we're actually on Acts 3. And we're going to look at this story about um, Peter and John and how they healed this lame man, and what we can pull from this to figure out how this can apply to us, and then how we can continue this in our own lives. And so if you guys want to follow along with this, there's, there's, a, there's a, a section of Scripture here in, in Acts 3, and I'm actually going to read a few verses before that. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 as well, but you guys will pick up in verse 3. But it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the established prayer time. Meanwhile, a man crippled since birth was being carried in. Every day, people would place him at the temple gate, known as the beautiful gate, so he could ask for money from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he began to ask them for a gift. Peter and John stared at him. Peter said, look at us. So the man gazed at them, expecting to receive something. Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, raise up, rise up and walk. Then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. At once his feet and ankles became strong. Jumping up, he began to walk around. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same one who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate asking for money. They were filled with amazement and surprise at what happened to him. So crazy story, right? This guy has literally not been able to walk since birth, and he gets carried to this gate every single day, hoping that he can maybe get something. And Peter and John look at him, and they give him something. You know, and it's a cool, it's a cool situation that happens in Scripture. Once again, we, we see a miracle happen here in the book of Acts. And we see this man, and we see what his life was like and what it becomes. And I think it's really important to find illustrations like this in the Bible that we can look at and say, listen, if this is something that really happened to this guy, what can we pull from that? What can we learn from the story? How can we identify with the story in a way that's going to change our lives that we can continue something that was so great that happened to this man that can maybe happen to us too? And so first off today, what we need to talk about is how we can identify with this man at the gate. How can we identify with this man at the gate? And for most of us in this room, we can walk, you know? So maybe physically we look at this and we say, eh, I can't really identify with this guy. Like he's literally been paralyzed since birth. I don't know how to identify with that. But I think if we look at the other concepts of this man's heart, this man's mind, that there are, there are very easy ways that we can parallel our lifestyles with his. So we all can identify with the man at the gate first by every one of us has felt lame at some point in our lives. Every one of us has felt lame at some point in our lives. And I'm actually going to hit this on two different directions because there, there's, the, there's the definition of lame like the Bible talks about, right, where he, he literally was paralyzed and he doesn't have um, this ability to walk. But then there's also like the American slang way that we say lame, right, where we feel like we're a loser, right? So it doesn't matter which concept you look at today. I think they both bring the same feelings. Um, and so I think we all have to look at this and say every one of us has felt lame at some point in our lives. And if we look at the context of this man, there have been points in our lives, you, you can't deny, you can't, you can't lie about the fact that I think in every human being, there is a point in our lives where we feel like we're incapable. There's a point in our lives where we feel like, what am I supposed to do? I feel insufficient. I feel like I'm not doing what I should be doing. I feel like I'm crippled. In Acts 3-2, a man crippled since birth was being carried in. He's, he's felt this way his whole life. You know, for me, like I said earlier, I, I think about not having a dad in the picture as a kid. And I had waves up and down in my childhood where I looked at my life and I said, you know what? I don't feel capable. I don't, I don't feel like I'm, I'm what I'm supposed to be doing, but I also don't know how I'm supposed to get out of this lifestyle. I feel incapable to have the things that I see in, in the world. I feel incapable to have a marriage one day because I've never seen a strong marriage. I feel incapable to be a dad one day because I've never seen a dad in my life. 
And I started to feel those things. For some people, it might be poverty. They say, I feel incapable to, to have a, a stable standard of living because I've never seen that in my life. I've always grown up poor. Or people who struggle with addictions or abuse or neglect. And I say, I just don't know how I'm going to, I don't feel capable because of what I've been exposed to. And I know a lot of the members here at the Crossing Church, and I know you guys have probably felt that way because I know your stories. We, we aren't a church that's got it all together. You know, we're a church that's very messed up and, and a church that's got a very scarred past. Um, you know, if, if you know anything about church lingo, we, we kind of view ourselves as a restoration church. And, and what that means is, is that we don't have a generational church where, like, my dad and my grandpa and my great-grandpa, like, we were all members of this church and we have this, this ego that makes it look like we have it all together. And we're more of a restoration church where we find broken and hurt people in the world and we've built a church out of that, you know, and our goal is to, is to break a cycle and to start a new path. But to, to do that, we have to start somewhere. And so a lot of the stories, a lot of the members in our church have felt this way because I know where you guys have come from, just like this guy did. Look at what Job says. We get a little bit of, a, of an insight from Job as well in Job 3, verses 11 to 13. It says, why didn't I die at birth? Come from the womb and just die. For now I would be laying down quietly. I'd sleep. Rest would be mine. And he looks at his life and it's just like, would it, would it not be better if I would have just died? And I, and I hate to bring that point up, but literally I, I have heard people in our church say those same things. Would it be better if I just wasn't here? Would the people around me even care? Would my life be better if it wasn't here on earth anymore? And it's so, it's so heartbreaking to, to hear those stories, but probably what is more heartbreaking is the way that the person feels to have to make that statement in the first place because we don't know what's going on in people's lives. But we know we can identify with the lameness just like this man felt in, in, in his life. So we have to relate. We have to know that we can be on that level, that we can say, you know, I feel insufficient. I, I, I feel powerless. I, I feel lame in my life. And if we get there, the second point that goes along with that is that every one of us has felt helpless to overcome the lameness. Every one of us has felt helpless to overcome that lameness. See, it's one thing to feel insufficient and to know like that's something that we deal with and we struggle with, but it's a whole nother level to feel like there's no hope. You know, we can feel down. We can feel like a loser. We can feel like we're not connected. We can feel alone. We can feel trapped, but to feel helpless is a whole nother level on that story, right? Acts 3, 2 says, every day people would place him at the temple gate known as the beautiful gate. The dude couldn't even make it to the gate on his own account. He had to be helped every single day to be put to this gate. He could not do it on his own. And I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times in my life where I've, I've looked at my life and I've not just felt like I'm broken. I've not just felt like I've been trapped but I felt completely helpless that I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I don't know who to go to and I don't know what I'm supposed to. You know, there was a time, <laughs> there was a time, and I put, my, I put myself here, but there was a time whenever I was a student at SIUE and <clears throat> I think I probably said this before a couple years ago, but I was a PE major because when you play sports and you don't like school, you, you become a PE teacher, you know, and that's, that's what I did. I went to SIUE, and I got into a degree program that was for PE teachers because I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a role model like the coaches and teachers were for me because I, I grew up without a dad. Um, but the easiest course that I thought was going to be in college was to be a PE teacher. So I was like, this is going to be easy. They're just going to test me on my skills, you know, and like, and I'm like, I think I'll be just fine. And sure enough, what I did not know that uh, was going on was at SIUE, their PE program was an Ivy League curriculum, which means that what they taught at SIUE and their courses was the same stuff they taught at Harvard and Yale and Princeton, um, and I had no clue. So I had friends that were in PE programs at like UMSL and SLU, and I was like, what are you guys doing in your classes? And they're like, man, I had a test last week, I had to hold my breath underwater for 30 seconds, and I got an A. And I was like, that's what you did. And like, what are you doing at SIU? I was like, man, I'm sitting in a classroom listening to all these different theories and theologies of all these old professors and all these different PE teachers on how to like change the mind of a kid to like want them to do sports more. And they're like, that sounds hard and lame. 
And I said, I know. I was like, that's not what I wanted to do with school. That's not why I got into this program. Um, but what made it hard for me was my professor actually told me that we didn't have to turn any of our assignments in until the end of the semester. So we could essentially procrastinate as long it was, as, as, long it was, as it was in before finals week, we would get full credit. And so we were like, we were PE teachers. Like, we were like, yeah, we're not going to turn any of this stuff in. Like, my whole little cohort of students, we didn't do any of that stuff. And so we slacked all semester. Little did we know, the stinking uh, chancellor of the university got in to uh, the programs and could see the different grades that were going on and the different programs that SIU offered. And for some reason, you know, nursing program doing great, you know, biology program doing great. But for some reason, the PE program, there, there was all these insufficient grades and absent grades. And so the chancellor jumped on my director and I went to school the next day and my director named off about 15 of our students and there's only 25 of us in this cohort. And he said, you guys need to leave and I'm gonna send an email explaining what's gonna happen. And we found out that the chancellor got in and he says, we have to have a meeting with the chancellor to figure out if you guys are getting kicked out of this program because you have not turned in any of your assignments. And I was like, but you told me I could procrastinate. <laughs> like, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I literally remember those two days that I heard silence. I wasn't allowed to go to classes, and I was texting my friends in this class, like, what's going on? What are they saying? Am I going to be able to get back in? And they're like, they're not saying anything about this. They're not letting us know anything. And we're all texting like, our 15 students, we're like, what are we supposed to do? And like, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. And like, I literally felt like there was nothing I could do. And I was so helpless to the fact, and I knew I put myself there, but I wanted to blame it on my teacher. But I knew that if I would have just done my work like those other 10 students, I would have been sitting in those classes just fine. But there was this window in my life where I looked at it, I was like, there's literally nothing I can do. I put myself here. I know I'm incapable because I did these things. But I feel literally helpless in this situation because I put myself here. And that's an example of a, of, of a, of a scholastic thing. But for a lot of us, maybe we can look at our lives and maybe say, I put myself in this relationship and I feel helpless in it, but I made this decision. I don't know how to get out of it. Or I put myself in this job and now I've, been, I've become dependent on this money. I'm too, I'm too afraid to go find a new job and so I'm stuck here. Or I've put myself in this parenting environment and this is how I've parented my kids for the last 10 or 15 years and I feel helpless because of the way they treat me, but this is, I've put myself here. And I just don't know how to get out of this. And for this lame man, he was in that same spot that he had felt helpless because no, like he could not do this on his own. He needed that help. Job talks about it as well. It says in Job 3, 25 and 26, it says, because I was afraid of something awful and it arrived, what I dreaded came to me. I had no ease, quiet or rest and trembling came. You see, we have to connect, we have to identify with this lame man, not to the point that we just know that there are times in our lives where we can feel incapable, but we have to realize that we, we, we have felt helpless too. We have felt like this man at the same time has felt helpless. And then thirdly, it's kind of like a cause and effect here. Every one of us has searched for relief in a multitude of ways, just like this man. Because when you feel like you are what you are, and you feel like you're helpless and you can't get out of it, the only other thing to happen next would be to try to search for ways to get out of it. That's, that's literally the process of life when it comes to these kind of ideas. Every one of us has searched for relief in a multitude of ways. You know the slain man, what he was doing, Acts 3.2, it says, so he could ask for money for those entering the temple. This was his way of searching for relief. He got asked, he asked people to bring him to a gate to sit to ask for help because he thought that was his way of searching for relief in ways that would help him feel the way that he didn't feel anymore. You know, maybe he get a little bit of money, maybe he get a little bit of food, maybe he get some clothes, maybe, maybe somebody would take him to shelter for a night or two. Who knows? You know, but that was his way of saying, This is how I'm searching for relief. If this is how I feel and I feel helpless in this, this is how I'm gonna get that healing. And for a lot of us, maybe we look at that 
and, and we see people that, you know, I, I think sometimes where you think about like homeless people on the sides of the roads, right? Normally they'd probably go to the same spots that they feel like they get the most relief, right? Um, maybe they have like a hot corner that they feel like this is the area that I usually get the most money or the most food. And you see people that return to those same places. And I think that the thing I want to challenge us on is just like this guy, I think sometimes we choose to go to things that help us, but there's so much more that could be helped in our lives. There's, there's so many more opportunities. For example, I've always been so confused as to why women who have been abused continue to go back to the same man. You know, I've thought about that, and, and I've actually talked to women in those same situations, and I'm like, it just doesn't make, I can't wrap my head around why you would continue to go back to the same dude over and over again. But until you talk to one of those women, you don't realize that for something in some of those women's minds, what they're getting from that man is still better than what they had before that man. That they're like, it's not the best, I know, but it's better than what I was dealing with before this. You know? Or I think about people that I've talked to um, that literally grew up in complete poverty and they, they get a little bit of a job and, and, and they're squeezing by and, and, and you know they're capable so much more. And you look at their living situation, you look at their standard of living, like, why do you live like this? You could, you could be living in a, such a different context in a, such a different way. And their response is, this is still so much better than what I was living in before. Just this little bit of income is so much better. So I'm, I'm content with this, even though like, I see that I could have more. I, I see I could work more. I see I could have more discipline. But this is still more discipline than I was whenever I was younger. You know? And I think sometimes with this guy sitting at this gate, we can look at his life and say, dude, like you could have so much more. Why is it that you just choose to settle for the gate? But for some reason, this guy thought in his head, you know, this gate's better than whatever I had that wasn't at the gate. And so he continues to go back to the gate. And I think sometimes I want to challenge us because I think sometimes we settle for things that aren't the greatest, but we just think that they're cool or good because they're better than what we had before. And that's not the way that God intended us to live. That's not the way that God intended us to utilize our lives. For a lot of us, especially you guys here in the church, like I know your stories, I know your upbringing in some of these areas over the last couple of years, I've gotten to know you. And I look at your life, and I still, I still feel the same way that I felt about my own life. I'm like, we could be doing so much more, but we settle for the little things that we feel like are just a little bit better. I grew up with literally no friends. I was an insecure kid. I grew up poor. My dad wasn't around. I, didn't, I went to a rich high school. I didn't want to talk about that stuff with the friends at high school that I played sports with because I knew I was going to be instantly judged. They played in feeder teams. They had all this money. They were, all their dads were always at things. And I was just the little pit-squeak park-and-rec kid that was able to squeeze by because of my hustle to be able to make my spot on the team. But I never, like, connected with those friends. I never had parenting figure. Like, I felt so out of place. But I thought that that was the best I could do because it was better than me sitting at home by myself alone 24-7. And then I get into the church, and I find a relationship with God, you know, after I graduate from high school, and I get connected to a campus ministry, you know, and... I start to see that there's, there's things I can have and my life was just so much better. But then still, I didn't connect in the ways that I know that I could. And I think sometimes we always take it to the next step, but we can never take it to the next level in what God's wanting to do in our lives because we think the next step is we've arrived. And just like this guy, you know, he's looking for things that he thinks is going to get him to the next level, but it's only maybe going to get him to the next step, just to the next day. Because let, let's, let's re, realistically, let's say this guy gets like all the money. Let's say just some rich dude just drops it on him. Is his life really going to change for the better with that money? Well, worldly people would probably say, yeah, it probably will. His life will be completely different, you know? Or somebody just drops on a ton of food on him, and he ain't going to have to worry about food for months. Yeah, he's probably going to look different. But does it really change his life that he's got the things that he's been asking for? I don't know. But you know what we do know is we have a story of somebody in the Bible that had everything, and we see his response. That's Ecclesiastes 2. We see King Solomon literally had everything. He had all the women. He had all the money. He had all, all the opportunities. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, I looked at everything I had done. 
and the wealth I had gained, I decided it was all a waste of time. It was like trying to catch the wind. There's nothing to gain from anything we do in this life. You see, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have. You can be this lame guy sitting outside of a gate waiting for just the small scraps to think it's going to change your life. Or you can be the richest, wisest man in the Bible who literally has everything at your, at your ease to make and do whatever you want, and they still feel the same way. You see, Solomon had everything. It, it talks about Ecclesiastes, how he had women, he had wives. You know, How many times have we went to sex and relationships and said, this is what I need? This is what's going to change me. It's going to make me feel like I'm wanted and it feel, makes me feel like I, I belong. And how many of us have been ruined by sexual relationships? How many of us have been used in sexual relationships? How many of us have been disappointed by sexual relationships? He's also one of the richest men in the world, right? King Solomon, richest man. Man, once I get this money, once I get this job, once I get this career, then I'll be fine. I'll be set. Literally, the richest dude in the Bible sits here and says, I had all the wealth, and it was just a waste of time. So sex ain't going to fix it. Money ain't going to fix it. You know, in Ecclesiastes, he talks about all these vineyards that he had, right? And we know he's talking about with vineyards in the Old Testament, right? Talking about getting drunk. He's talking about bringing the wine in. The wine, the women, the money, all that stuff, right? The fast life. How many of us have, have turned to a coping mechanism? We try to drink away the pain. We've tried, we've tried drugs. We've tried addictions. We've tried, and, and, we, and we find these things, and we try to find relief in, in, in any area, and we don't find it. And I think it's an interesting point that we can identify with this man because I think that's something that we can relate to the most, is that we find anything on this earth to just give us a little bit of relief. But what we don't understand is what Peter and John were about to give him to bring that relief. And so if we can connect, and that's the first point today, literally, is just we have to connect with him. If, if, we, if, we can, if you can really connect with, you've been there. This, this next part's not going to mean anything if you can't I, I have an honest evaluation of yourself and say, I've been there. I know what that feels like. But if we can and we say, I've been there, I know what that feels like, this story is much more than just a, a crappy story at the beginning. <laughs> because if we can share in, 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 the, in the negative, if we can share in, in, in the feelings of loneliness, if we can share in that, then we can also share in the hope and the blessings that come upon this man after Peter and John interact with him. Because God wants to continue that in our lives as well. So how do we move beyond that? If, if we can feel and connect that way, how do we move beyond that lame life we've been living? How do we live beyond that in our own lives? Okay, that's going to take some work. All right, so the first thing is I got, I got to look. I must look to the one who can heal me. I must look to the one who can heal me. We got to stop searching for relief in all the, all the craziest places. But we got to look to the one who can heal me. Peter said in Acts 3, look at us, you know, um, I think about, you know, have you guys ever seen Robin Hood, like the old cartoon, right? And he's got the, he's got the crazy old hat on, he's got the cape on, he's got the black glasses and the cane. He's like, money for the poor, money for the poor, right? And he's, and he's looking like, like he's not looking at anybody. He's just hoping somebody's going to give him a handout, right? That's kind of that's how I view this guy, just kind of sitting at the gate, and he's just like, money for the lame, money for the lame. And I'm thinking that maybe he's just hoping to get something. But Peter and John are like, hey, look at me, you know? And so this guy, like, completely, like, you know, he... He changes the way that he, he views himself, but he sticks his hands out because, I don't know if it says he sticks his hand out or not, but um, he expected to receive something from him, it says. It says, so the man gazed at them expecting to receive something. So when they make an interaction with him, he thinks he's about to get something, right? And it says, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. Now, here's the interesting point, and here's the point that I think we as Americans have got to get past is whenever we feel lame, whenever we feel like we're incapable, we search for whatever, and we feel like the healing is going to come by something physical like a handout. We literally feel like the healing that's going to happen in our lives is going to be something in our hands. It's going to be a relationship. It's going to be money. 
It's going to be a drug. It's going to be uh, a friendship. It's going to be a job. It's going to whatever it is. But we think we feel lame. Please give me something physical, God, to change this. And what Peter and John help this man realize is that the healing he's going to get is not going to be by a handout. It's not going to be put into his hand. It's going to be put somewhere else. He says, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. You see, God doesn't just want to change your lifestyle by blessing you with physical possessions and materialistic things. God first has to change you in your heart. And so many times we look to this world and we say, change me, please give me something. And what God wants us to understand is like, that's not how you're going to change. Because just like this lame man, just like Solomon, the change isn't going to happen by what you acquire on this earth. The change is going to happen once your heart changes. Because then it doesn't matter what happens on this earth because the blessing has came into your heart. You know, I'm sure this dude would have been happy like a happy meal. You know, like if Peter and John were like, all right, man, here's some food. Have a good day. He'd been like, oh, thanks. You know, this man did not expect to get what he was about to get. In fact, what's, what's unique about this verse and what's so cool about the story is that this man has been lame since he was born, right? So he's literally experiencing something he has never felt before in his entire life, the ability to walk. And my encouragement is for you guys to understand that when you choose to look to God for healing, when you choose to go to God and put your hands out and say, I don't want something physical, but I want you to change my heart. I implore you to understand that just like this man, God will give you something, a feeling that you have never had in your entire life. He can bless your life in a way that you have never felt and never experienced and never in a way that anything in the world can give that to you. I never knew what it would ever feel like to be a dad, you know? I think about the way that I was raised and I wanted that so bad in my life. I wanted a marriage that was going to be so stable. I wanted to change a cycle in my family's line. I wanted to be the first one to go to college and graduate. I wanted to be the first one to have, and I wanted all these cool things. And I was looking for a handout from God. But when I, when I chose to give God my heart and let him come in and change me, I started to realize very quickly that those weren't the things that was going to change my life. But it was a relationship with him. And because of that, I do have a wife. I have kids. I have a stable source of income. Things I never even dreamed I could have as a kid. And yeah, those are physical things, but they're, they're spiritual things too. I didn't just marry any woman. I married a disciple. I don't just have any kids. I raise my kids up so they can see the blessings that I have come from my Father in heaven, not from my own account. The things that I do with my life are because God has changed me. And it's because I chose to look for that healing there. You know, I tried the thing in high school. I tried finding chicks in high school. I tried finding that, that, that hole to be filled in my younger years, and it just never happened. It never worked. And so my question to you guys today, too, is have you went to God for healing, like real healing, or have you just kind of showed up? It says in Isaiah 57, 18 and 19, it talks about what, what, what can happen. It says, I've seen their ways. God's talking here in the, Old, in the Old Testament. He says, I've seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and reward them with comfort. And for those who mourn, I will create reason for praise, utter prosperity to those far and near, and I will heal them, says the Lord. You see, guys, you're, you're not going to get healed by something that God can just give you physically. You're going to get healed by God giving you comfort. You know, when my wife and I first got pregnant, we were pregnant with twins and we miscarried both. And that was a hard time to go through. And I prayed that God would give us a kid. But the healing didn't come from the kid being delivered the next time we came around. The healing had to happen from the loss of the miscarriages. Because anybody who's ever had a miscarriage, you know that a kid doesn't ever change that feeling of the miscarriage. 
those kids stay with you. They're still your kids. And have that feeling that they're not there will always be something that we live with. So I didn't, I didn't need a kid to, to, to hide the, the, the hurt that happened with the miscarriages. I needed God to heal and bring comfort to the feeling that I had with those. And I think when we look in our lives, whether it be something like that, or maybe it's a broken relationship, or maybe it's an addiction, or maybe just think of any hurt that you felt in your life. You can't find something physical in your life that's going to change that hurt. You're not going to find anything on this earth that's going to change those things. But God says, if you look to me for healing, I can provide comfort. I can provide peace. And man, there, there is no better feeling than to have peace and comfort in a situation that's been so hurtful for your whole life. Nothing. And so we have to look to the right source of healing. It can't be anything physical anymore. It's got to be God. Okay? The second point here is I choose to take the hand of those who help me. I choose to take the hand of those who help me. Acts 2, it says, Then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. Okay? I'm going to talk to you men for a minute, right? We're freaking prideful. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, it, ladies, can I get an amen? You know, right? Um, humans, though, are all prideful, so you're not the hook either, right? We're all, we're all prideful, but especially us men, right? I'd rather my wife be mad at me because I don't want to ask for help to get something done than me actually please my wife and just ask somebody for help real quick. I can do this. I know how to do this. And I say it, and I, like, I get on YouTube behind her back. I'm like, how do you do this? You know? like, but men, I think, are naturally just prideful. Like, we don't want to ask for help. And so it, when, we, when something goes on in our lives, and we look at our lives, and we're like, man, like, how am I supposed to get out of this? I, I'm a, I definitely can't ask for help. i got to figure this out myself. And we have like, this internal feeling that feels like we're like, more of a man if we get it done ourselves. You know? Like, if I can get this done without asking for help, oh boy, like I'm, a, I'm, a looking, I'm a looking completely different. I'm on a different level now. People are going to start coming to me for help, you know? And the reality is, is that's just not how it works. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. God expects us, men and women, to go ask for help, to, to utilize the help. You will never be able to have a healthy relationship with God and a blessed life if you never invite God's people in your life to help you, period. So many times we think that our relationship with God is so dependent on him and only him that we neglect the fact to realize that God has literally provided his people all around us to enhance our relationship with God. We forget that. Look at what it says in James 5, 16. It says, For this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. If you really are hurting, would you not want the best case scenario to get you the most healing possible? If you were like a young doctor that was studying in a university and you had just realized that you have to have open heart surgery, would you, re would you really just depend on your own strength and will to fix your own heart right then and there? Or would you much rather have a panel of experienced doctors around you consulting and talking about the best way to go about this to give you the best chance of healing? Which one makes more sense? It's no different in God's kingdom. God says, you want the best chance of healing? You want the best chance to have something different in your life? Don't just rely on your relationship with me. Don't just rely on your individual time with me. Rely on my people as well. Because I love that you're devoted to me and I love, that you, I love that you love me, but man, I put some people in your life to enhance your quality of living. It literally says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. Can you imagine what two or three people's prayers could do? But no, so many times we bottle it up and say, no, it's just between me and God. This is me and God's thing. God's got me. You know? And what, what we're really saying is, I don't want to tell you what's going on in my life. <laughs> you know, what we're really saying is, I, I'm too ashamed to bring this up to you. I think you're going to judge me. I don't want to confess to you what's going on. I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about these hurts. But what we're really throwing at people is, it's just me and God. It's just between me and him. We, we got this covered. It may be because we don't, want to like, we don't like what they're going to say to us. 
You know, maybe they know exactly what we should be doing, but we just don't want to hear it. But this is how you move past that lame state of your, li- of your life to a blessed state of your life, is you bring people in. If you don't have people, here at the Crossing Church, that's one of the greatest things that I love about this church, is that we focus on God and we focus on people. We, we've identified to have a healthy relationship with Him, we have to have a healthy relationship with others. And we have very active small groups in our, in our church. We don't just show up on Sundays and not talk throughout the week. That's not the design in Scripture. We spend, we spend hours with each other throughout the weeks. We have small groups that meet throughout the weeks. We have men's and women's groups that meet throughout the weeks. We have just fellowship times throughout the weeks. I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I don't want to go to a church that I just show up for a couple hours on a Sunday and say it's between me and God the other six days of the week. I don't want that in my life. But so many people pretend that they, that they do, and that's all they want. But here at the Crossings, man, we, we have people that are willing to give help. We have people that are willing to stick their hands out and say, build a bond with me, build community with me. And you guys can be a part of that too. Thirdly, I obey God's commands that allow me to find healing. I obey God's commands that allow me to find healing. This is maybe part of the reason why people don't like to get close to people is because people will tell them what God's wanting them to do and then they know that there's something different that do their lives, you know? If I get close to a friend and say, man, I've been struggling with alcohol. I've been, I've been drinking and doing some very unwise things. And that friend says, well, you know what God says you should be doing. <laughs> like, and maybe that's part of the reason why we don't want to have a close relationship with people either. Because we have to realize that we have to do something differently in our lives. And it's by, obe- it's by obedience. It's by doing things that God wants us to do. You know, we can't get healing from God if we're not willing to do it his way. How many times have you ever heard somebody talk about something and then the response they get is, you need Jesus. <laughs> like, you ever heard that before, right? I learned a new word in my vocabulary uh, a couple weeks ago. Sneaky link, right? Look at, this, look, at this, look at the high school kids. I'm so embarrassed because it's in, it's in these new songs, right? All these, all these old people in the back are like, what's a sneaky link? I don't know what that is, Right? <laughs> Well, I had to Google it, so I don't really know, right? <clears throat> but I am a campus minister, so I hear the new hip words that all the college kids are saying, right? A sneaky link is just another way that the young generation says side chick. Or, you know, or whatever that, whatever that would be for a guy. I don't know what you call it. Um, but that's what, it, that's what it means. Is it's, it's, it's a sneaky link. I don't even remember where I was going with this. <laughs> uh, give me a second. Give me a second, I'll connect the dots, right? I totally had a brain fart. I literally have no idea where I was going with this. Yes, 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 yes. There we go. There it is. There it is. Okay, perfect. Okay, so the first time I heard that word, I was at the gas station right here at Casey's, right? And there was an older lady working, and there was a younger lady working. And the younger lady was sitting back on her phone texting, and the older lady's like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm texting my sneaky link. And the, the older lady goes, what is that? And she goes, oh, it's, it's, it's like my man on the side. And then that lady just looked at her and she goes, you need Jesus, right? And, and, uh, and I'm sitting there just like, oh, get, get me out of here. Like, I, I was like, I don't want to be in the middle of all this, right? And we hear that all the time, right? We've heard people make that phrase. They say, you need Jesus, right? And I think a lot of times people have done the Jesus thing. People go to churches and they're like, I've tried the you need Jesus thing and it didn't work for me, you know? And I think so many times in our culture, in America, churches and people go to churches to do the the Jesus thing, but it ain't really the Jesus thing. The Jesus thing is not just popping into church to get a hand-me-out because you need a little bit of healing in your life. The Jesus thing isn't just going to a confessional and telling somebody about all your sins and being like, good, now I can go do it all again and then come back in a couple weeks and say it all again. That's not the Jesus thing. And that's the problem, is that people who have been hurt by churches more times than not, and people who feel like they've been... Now, I will take some ownership and leadership because as a leader, like I know I've said some dumb things. I know I've made mistakes in my, in my years. I know that I'm not the most capable, qualified person to be talking from a stage. I know that. 
I know Wes would say the same things. I know we have, we have issues that, that leadership has to get better. That's clear. But more times than not, people who say they've been burned by churches because of the Jesus thing was more because they were going to church and they were doing the Jesus thing their way, not Jesus' way. They say, you know, I went to church and then they asked me to get serious about my relationship with God and I wasn't about that. They asked me to commit more time than just a Sunday morning to growing and learning in his word and I wasn't about that. They asked me to connect more to the community of people and I just wasn't about that. They asked me to go and seek and save the lost and find hurting lost people and bring them in and I, just, I had better things to do. So that Jesus thing, that didn't really work for me. And my answer has always been, then you didn't do the Jesus thing. You did your thing in a church. So you kind of wasted both people's time. You wasted God's time and your time. You know, if you're going to do the Jesus thing, do it Jesus' way. And how you're going to do that? You obey God's commands that allow you to find healing. In Acts 3, it says, at once his feet and ankles became strong. Jumping up, he began to walk around. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. The cool thing I like about this, and, and you know, maybe not a lot of people would pull this out of this, but Peter and John asked him to get up, right? But here's the cool thing. They didn't ask him to jump up. They asked him to get up. Now, you've got to think about that for a minute, because if I ask somebody to get up, you're going to see a different flow of movements than asking somebody to jump up, Right? Out of this man's own will, he chose to jump up. For me, that seems that there's more of an excitement and a joy about what he's doing in his life than there is more so than just the, all right, I was asked to do this. So I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up and do this. You know, versus somebody says, oh, yes, like this is it. And, and they're ready to go. Don't you feel like sometimes you can see that same attitude in the church? You're asking me to do this. God's asking me to do this. All right, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to do this because God's I'm going to do the bare minimum because that's what's been commanded of me. Versus somebody whose life is just literally pure joy and they'll do things whenever they're not even told to do them because they know it's the right thing to do. And you can see a difference in a person's life versus the gratitude they have for what God has given them versus somebody who's doing the bare minimum because it's what's commanded of them. You see, God, I feel like, blesses people's lives and, and God is in people's hearts more when people do it because it's something that they enjoy to do, when it's something that they love to do, not when it's something that they feel like they're, they're, they're being controlled to do, not when it's something they feel like they're being dragged around to do. I'm going to go to church today because if not, my wife's going to get on me. You know, I'm going to throw my kids in there even though I want them to be at their tournament this weekend instead. You know, like the things that we do with our relationship with God the, the way we even present ourselves in the interaction, the energy that we have in our relationship with God is, is also going to change the way that we're going to find the healing. When you go to a small group, do you just go because it's commanded by the church you know, or whatever you may call it? Because honestly, like, I don't care what you do with your life. Go where you need to grow. That's what I've always told people. But I'm telling you right now, there's not a lot of growing in people's lives that are feeling like they've got to be dragged around the whole time. Look at what happens in 2 Kings verses 5. You know, this is the story of Naaman. And Naaman was, Naaman was a man who had leprosy, and he was asked to do something pretty crazy. They want, you know, he was asked to go get into the Jordan River and, and wash himself. And in my head, I'm like, this is a nasty river. This dude's got leprosy. This ain't going to work, you know? And that's probably what he thought too. And this is what it talks about in 2 Kings 5 verses 13 and 14. It says, Naaman's servants came to him and spoke to him. Our father, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? But all he said to you was, wash and become clean. So Naaman went down and bathed in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said. His skin was restored like that of a young boy, and it became clean. You see, God's not asking you to do these crazy, difficult things. Just like Naaman here was healed, he literally just told him to go down in the water and just wipe away the leprosy. And Naaman was like, I ain't getting on that dirty river. You know, like, he rejected it at first, and then he finally realizes... This isn't very hard to do. The hard part about it is just me choosing to do it. I'm going to tell you right now, being a disciple is the hardest thing you'll do in your life. But the execution is so simple. There's not a crazy execution that happens with being a Christian. Living your life for God, obeying his commands, it's not like, it's not, in, it's not things that people are incapable of doing. It's just, it's just things people are unwilling to do. 
You know, and I think when people would just look at God's, you know, and what he wants for our lives and the things he wants to bless us with, if we could just look at those, uh, those commands and, and, and apply them in our lives, it's not going to kill you. It's not that hard. But we resist commands and obedience, and we do what we want to do instead, and then we wonder why we're still hurt. But if we can obey God's commands, which are very simple, they will allow us to find healing. And lastly, what we can do to move beyond this lame life, just like this man is, is, is we can, I can praise God and see others amazed by what God is doing. This is where that, that's where the emotion comes back in. This is where that excitement comes back in. Once we've found that healing, once we've found that blessing, once we find that God can do something with our lives, we choose then to praise God and see others amazed by our lifestyle. He says in Acts 3, it says, All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same one who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate asking for money. They were filled with amazement and surprise at what had happened to him. You see, once you allow God to heal you, once you allow God to come into your life to bless you, it is, it is only natural for other people to notice it. It's only natural for the people in your lives to look at you now and say, dang, that person's life is different. It's changed. What is going on? And the only way they see that is by the way that you present yourself. The only way they're ever going to see that is the way that it comes across in your language, the way that it comes across in your lifestyle, the way that it comes across in your disciplines. That's how people are going to look at your life just like this man and, and say, something's different in that person's life. And if you guys go back to work and you go back to school and you go back to wherever you go after you get out of church throughout the week and people look at your life and they don't see anything different, my question to you is, have you really let God change your life? You know, we're going through a book here at the Crossings Church. on It's called How to Worship a King. It's a great book. We're going through it in our small groups. And if you, if you want to know more about that, you know, jump on into one of our small groups to talk to somebody. But this book has been awesome because it talks about this idea of an Old Testament tabernacle, which was a tent that, that God would come down and connect with his people. And then we realize through this book that we start getting this idea that we are, are the living tabernacles now. As disciples, we are now those tents of meeting that we get to walk around this earth and we get to be the tent that sets up, that connects God to the world. And it's just like this man was doing after God had entered his life. He was literally setting up this tabernacle, this tent of meeting anywhere he would go, and people started to notice something in him that helped God connect to them. And that's what each and every disciple's call to be is a living tabernacle. Every one of you guys, if you choose to commit your life to Christ and you choose to live your life as a disciple, every interaction throughout the week, you're literally setting up a tent for God to come down and people to see him through you. And the awesome thing about that is that, man, guys, your guys' lives could change so much, but think about the people around you as well. Think about your family. Think about the you need Jesus people in your life, right? Think about what their lives could look like if they really got some healing from the right source. And my challenge to you is more times than not, that is only going to happen when they see the change in your life first. Because if the people in the world don't see a change in your life, there's going to be no reason for them to want to come to church in the first place. If there's hypocrisy outside of this church building, there's no reason for them to come back here. But if there is a true blessing that we look to God to heal us, we take the hand of the people around us to help us and support us. We obey God in our lifestyle, and we have a lifestyle that's not hypocrisy, but it's disciplined. And then we choose to praise God in the, in the blessings and everything that's going on in our lives. People, the world will be amazed by that, and we can change a community. We can change the world. We can take this story and continue it in our generation today. And we all can be a part of that. If you guys would like to, I'd encourage you guys to pull out this communication card today because this is your opportunity 
to be a part of that. This is your opportunity to learn how to become that tabernacle yourself so people can come and be drawn to you so they can be drawn to God just like you have. And if you're not at that point today, maybe you're visiting and you're like, man, I'm just trying to figure out this God thing myself before I can even get connected to people. Well, they kind of go hand in hand. So if there's something going on in your life and you're like, man, there's this addiction or this marriage, like it needs some help. Like I don't really know where to start, you know, Maybe check you like a personal Bible study and somebody can sit down with you and look in God's word and look at these different ideas of, 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 of commands and these obedience. Like, I don't even know what God wants me to do. Have somebody do that. If you've been doing the God thing for a while, but you just feel alone and you're like, I don't have community. I don't have people in my life. I don't have support, but I feel like I need some of that. Maybe check you like to know more about our small groups and we can get you connected with a small group of people that are your age and your context. That was one of the biggest things for me is, I, I visited church whenever I was a kid. I wasn't like an active member. I was just there because of the sports. But, man, the church I grew up in, there was two other kids my age. And we only went to church there, one, because one kid was the preacher's kid, and the other kid was just there because we liked to play baseball. We played the church softball team. It was like just extra practice for us. So we all showed up together. But, man, once I got into a campus ministry and I joined a church like this, and I found a community of college men my age struggling with my struggles. You know how hard it was for me whenever I was a high school kid struggling with the things I did as a high schooler, trying to talk to elders in the church because that was like the youngest age dynamic that I had. There was nobody there my age. There was nobody there that was a little bit older than me. It was, it was me sitting down talking with 15 and 60-year-old men about my life. Now, how am I supposed to connect with that, you know? But a community like this that I've been able to find, if you guys look around, and I, you know, I'll say this real quick. Look around this room for a minute, okay? You see young people, you see old people. You see black people, you see white people. You see some pretty wealthy people in here, you see some pretty poor people in here, okay? You, just like me, are very fortunate to be in a building that has this diversity. Because if you walk into most churches in America today, you will not see this. This is unique, but this is the way that God intended it to be. This is a family of God here. This is a family of believers that are trying to do something different in their lives because I have men my age that I get to talk to about my parenting and my marriage and my skills, but I also have men a little bit older than me that can pass down wisdom to me, but I also have kids younger than me that can look up to me as an example. That's the family, you know? You may see this in some churches around America that are called mega churches. But what you're not going to see in those churches is what happens after they leave. Like our small groups and our relationships and our deep brotherhoods and sisterhoods that have been built here that sometimes you don't get to see on a massive scale because that stuff gets lost in in, in the craziness of of the large scale going on. So when I I challenge you guys about the communication card and I challenge you guys about this church, I I literally am am I'm, I'm hoping you guys understand like this is unique. And that's why I've chosen to put my family in this church and, and plant here and raise and build, build a generation here. Because I believe what this church is doing is right. I believe what this church is doing is beneficial. I believe what this church is doing is relational. But most importantly, I believe what this church is doing is biblical. And just like I've received blessings, I hope today that you guys can get that same blessing as well. And that that card can give you an opportunity to figure out where you need to move on to find that next step in your relationship with God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm glad that you guys visited with us today. I hope you guys will come back. I hope you guys will check into that men's retreat for you men. Um, I hope that you guys will invite some friends next week. Um, I'm going to say a prayer, and then uh, that'll give you guys some, you know, after I pray, we're going to sing a song. That'll give you guys some time to fill out a communication card. And then we'll sing a second song, and we're going to pass our baskets here at the the Crossings Church. Once again, this is one of the coolest things I ever heard when when I first came into this church and heard this, and now I get to say it from the stage, is when those baskets come around, if you're visiting with us today, we don't expect for you guys to put in money. You know, for our members, we understand that we had to take ownership of this church. This is our place. We had to contribute, and, and God wants us to give a sacrifice. And so our members understand that. But for you people visiting our church, we don't, we don't expect money from you guys. We want to give you guys something. We want to give you guys an opportunity to connect, to find a relationship with God. The first time I heard that when I came to this church, I was like, this ain't no Joel Olstein TV evangelist. Put your hand on the TV and give 50 bucks. Like, I'm not being hoodwinked here, right? You know, um, I, I felt like, man, maybe this is the, like, 
they really don't want anything out of me besides to give me an opportunity to be something better. That's a cool feeling, you know? So no pressure as you guys are filling out that card. Um, no pressure that somebody's going to look at you differently if you don't put anything in there. But just give this place a chance and see what God can do with it, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to even be on the stage. Uh, you know, God, my background and my upbringing, there is no reason why I should be on a stage talking to people uh, about life. Uh, but God, you came in my life um, at a young age. I wish it would have been younger, but God, you, you, you grabbed me at the right time and you changed the trajectory of my whole life, God. I never thought I was going to have the things that I have. I never thought I was going to have the friends that I have, the blessings I was going to have. I never thought I was going to be capable to have those things. But God, you came in, you blessed my life, you gave me something so much better than I could ever imagine for myself. And God, I get the pleasure and the privilege to be able to say the same thing and the same encouragement to people in this church. And so God, I pray that we can take our lives seriously and we can realize that we can have something so much greater if we trust you and find you for healing instead of looking to the world and to ourselves for that, Lord. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for the example he had set. And uh, God, I pray for this congregation and this church to be able to continue that legacy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.